Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. Thanks so much for joining us. And if this is your first time, I invite you to hit subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you might be listening to the show. All right, everyone, I am here with Doug Burdick. Doug is a principal research staff member at IBM Research. And Doug and I will be speaking today about making documents more easily consumed by machines. Doug, welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. Uh, Thanks, Sam. Glad to be here. Looking forward to jumping in here. In some ways, this conversation is a follow-on to my recent chat with your colleague, Yunya Lee. And that conversation focused broadly on productionalizing NLP in the enterprise. And today we'll be digging in a bit more deeply into the work that you've done to make documents more machine consumable. And in particular, your focus on extracting data from forms. To get us started, I'd love to have you share a little bit about how your background in information retrieval led you to work in NLP and document conversion in particular and how that informs your work. Yeah. So the work that Yan Yao was describing and a lot of the work that our group actually does traditionally, we'll say, was actually around natural language processing and entity resolution. So we've developed all of these pipelines once we actually have the information in a unstructured or say a semi-structured form, like say HTML or XML, we can actually do downstream processing of that. So that's what she was describing. Now, actually the issue that we've had, so we were applying a lot of all of this work to data from the web. So for instance, there's a very good corpora of financial data in say HTML forms. If you go to say the U.S., SEC Edgar, there's all of the filings for every publicly traded company. It's available in an HTML form, which has the tabular data that you can actually process and build a knowledge graph from that. So that was the original project that we were working with. And then also there's other web sources like say wiki tables and so forth as well on the web where you're given the data in an HTML form where you actually have the table metadata given to you. So then we actually had a request to actually try to extend our knowledge graph work from the financial domain to PDF documents. Mm -hmm. And this was a problem that we we ran into seven years ago was how do we actually apply that same downstream technology to data from PDF? You know, one thing I think people don't realize about PDF is that it's actually an archival format. So it's a format that even if you have like a Word or an electronic document, you save it to PDF, it strips out all of the metadata about the structure of that document. So if you have a table from like a Word document, you save it as PDF, all of that table information is stripped out. Mm. So all you get from the PDF is just a set of characters or you get graphical elements as your input. And if you also wanted to apply this to say a a scan document that's an image, you don't have any metadata. Mm -hmm. And the thing was we needed a way to actually get this data into a form that could be then processed by all this NLP technology that we've been developing. So that's how we actually came into this problem. And we started looking at, say, even because this wasn't something that our group does, so we were trying to see if we could actually leverage something else to do this. And you know, we found out that there really wasn't 
any good solutions. And this became a research problem kind of accidentally in of itself. And now we've been doing this. So that was seven to eight years ago. And I've been doing this now. And <laughs> there's a whole team of people actually, you know, both in the product organization. So I work with a team, both in a product organization, transferring the work that we've done in research into the products, you know, making it a product and then actually getting it into different IBM products and offerings. Awesome. And we've talked in our prior conversations about a specific example that may be useful to discuss now to help contextualize this. This is some work that you did with the Allen Institute for AI and a a COVID data set that they were curating. Can you talk a little bit about that one? Sure, of course. So the Allen Institute for AI had the same problem that we ran into in that they had a the Core 19 data set. So it's a data set that the Allen AI Institute put together for it was documents around COVID-19 coronaviruses from PubMed. So they actually got it's about 130,000 documents. So these were all journal articles about coronaviruses and COVID-19. Mm-hmm. They had that corpus, but they were all PDF documents. So they were able to pull the text out of the PDF document. But that was what they were making available for downstream processing. They had the original PDF, and then they also had the text available, just the text. And the thing about research articles is a lot of information in those articles is actually contained in tables. Mm-hmm. So you'll have a table of scientific, you know, of the results of the experiments or something. And it's better if you can actually pull that table out in some structured form so that, that you actually have all of the columns identified and all of the rows. And But that wasn't available in this Core 19 data set. And it was actually something that was actually requested because the Core 19 dataset had a Kaggle challenge associated with it as well. And you know, that was the thing that the people working on the Kaggle competition were saying, you know, hey, you know, it'd be really useful if you could give us the table data in these from these PDF documents in this Core 19, not just plain text. So we actually had some connections with people at AI2, and we actually told them about the technology we were doing for identifying tables of PDF documents that we had available. And we offered to help add that table data to the extracted data from the PDF documents. So that would be made available to all of the researchers who were analyzing that data set. They could actually then analyze the tables as well. Got it. That was actually the most, it was amazing. It was the most requested feature to be added to that Kaggle data set was the tables. Oh, wow. And so that was really nice that we were able to help with that and had a lot of impact on making that Core 19 data set usable. And it was a timely problem. Mm -hmm. Let's dig into what makes it so difficult to get that data out. I think you've already mentioned one fact, which I think is surprising you would think there's more structure inside a PDF than there actually is. And it sounds like in some ways you just kind of treat it as a, almost like an image, you know, maybe elaborate on that, but then kind of continue on to some of the other problems that you run into. Yeah. I think the biggest problem with the PDF, so it's an archival format. Yep. And that's something that if you were to talk to people from Adobe, who developed the PDF standard, they would tell you, well, that's okay. You were never really meant to analyze these documents. They're meant to be rendered on the screen for human consumption. They're meant to be stored for archival systems of record and not modified. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that there's 4 trillion 
PDFs and hundreds of billions more being created annually and all that. So that number is going up. And just like any data source, people will want to do analysis over that data for new novel applications. So being able to add and, and have more information in the native PDF format would be useful. And that was something that you know, even if it was to be added tomorrow, and again, Adobe's thinking about new versions of the PDF standard that may actually include metadata, but that's still not going to make the problem go away because there's still several trillion of these documents in legacy systems over decades that will have this issue. I think what you said is actually, Sam, is, is exactly right about we have to treat the PDF effectively as an image because if you think of it, it's how you as a human visualize the content there, that you're able to look at that page. And if, you know, again, even my seven-year-old son, if I was to give him a document page and ask him to point out where the table is on that page, it's something that he can do intuitively because there's visual clues of where the table is and alignment of different text into columns and there may be lines delineating cells and all of that. But it's something that it's very hard to take that that contextual knowledge. Like if I asked him how, how did he actually figure it out, he'd just say, well, I know it when I see it, right? But But that's something, how do you actually encode that into something that a machine can actually automatically do? Kind of a classic deep learning, what is a cat kind of problem. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So this has been addressed historically. It's in the document intelligence, document processing community, and also a lot of, then we'll say with deep learning, more modern approaches are now deep learning based because the computer vision community has now gotten more involved in this. And then now... We're also starting to see the NLP community. So as we go further downstream, because of you know, it started with the document processing community historically, mm-hmm. optical character recognition, you know, processing images, treating it as an image. If you treat it as an image alone, that will get you so far. Because so you're limiting yourself to a feature space where you're just okay, I'm looking at the formatting of the text, its position on the page. But now if I actually want to start looking at the content of that text and then leveraging some of the other models for beginning to interpret that text along with the visual clues as well. So now you're kind of thinking it as a multimodal problem. How do I actually bring those together into a multimodal solution to actually bring, you know, because that's what you're actually doing as a human, whether you maybe realize it or not, is you start with the visual clues that will take you so far. So if I was to say, if you were looking at a document in a foreign language, you would be able to say, okay, yeah, I kind of have an idea where the tables are just based on visual clues. But then if I actually wanted to handle the really complex tables, I probably need to understand the language that the table is in to make sure I've gotten all of the header rows, for instance, at the top of the table, making sure that they're included and then making sure I get the complete table, for instance, and also getting the structure of the table right. That's something you need to be able to interpret the values that were being identified from the text. Right. That's where the state of the art in this area is heading, is towards bringing those two together, not just the vision and the by itself, but as vision plus NLP and bringing that together into a multimodal solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask before you elaborated on that, hey, if it's just picking tables out of images, 
kind of this classic identify a cat deep learning problem. Like we could probably do that with a supervised approach. We've got enough documents with tables in them that are probably identified. You know, maybe we need to label them or curate a data set, but that sounds easy enough. But I think you're speaking to there's more to the problem than just identifying the table to turning it into useful information. And the way you get to that next step is by combining the visual features that you get with NLP that's interpreting what's actually in the table that you identified. Correct. But I also just want to back up one just briefly. Yeah. So for deep learning methods, it's a supervised method and you need a lot of data to actually do this well. Mm -hmm. We're talking tens or hundreds of thousands of, of examples. And actually the largest data sets that were curated for this problem were literally in the hundreds or thousands of documents. Really? So decades of research mm -hmm. in table extraction. The problem is that those methods up till very recently, the deep learning revolution, say maybe five to 10 years ago, a lot of the prior approaches were machine learning, logic, rule-based approaches. They didn't need that many tables to actually train those methods. This, we'll say the rules or the statistical methods. Mm -hmm. Now, when you go to deep learning, okay, now I need you know tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands to be really sure. So how do I actually get those data sets? And this is something we actually did. This was actually also leveraging some of, some of the Edgar data that you actually have. Those annual reports that go into Edgar mm -hmm. actually are PDF documents that are available from different publicly traded companies on their websites. So they're submitted to the SEC as PDF documents. Then the But there's also a structured XML thing that they publish as well, right? Correct. And and then somebody has to make that by hand mm -hmm. Okay, to go into Edgar. So what we can do is we can actually match up that structured XML that's available on Edgar that somebody mm -hmm. hand curated or something to make, it, make that available along with the original PDF. And then we can combine that together to get a labeled data set. So this is a data set we, we you know, is publicly available on IBM developer FinTabNet. FinTabNet. Yes, FinTabNet. It's, I think, around 80,000 pages where you have of the SEC data for the S&P 500 companies, where you have the tables with not only the border, but the structure as well, because that's the hard one that takes a lot of effort to actually label. Mm -hmm. The other thing is within IBM, this is also an IBM developer, we also have pub tabnet. And this was from the, there's a commercial use subset of the pub med data set. PubMed makes those journal articles. You have the PDF of the journal article, plus you have the hand curated right. HTML, XML output. So you can put the two, which has the tables labeled in it. So you can put the two of those together to actually get a labeled data set. So that was another way we work. Got it. That's for, say, historical documents. Um, it, it's not necessarily like some of the very recent journal articles. So, but, but again, that's another data set we use to automatically label lots of examples. Got it. But I think one thing that jumps out is you've got your FinTabNet that's based on the kind of these formal SEC mm -hmm. publications. That's like one definitive style. Your PubMed, I'm imagining that's another definitive style. And what you haven't said is like tables in the wild, <laughs> which is a large data set of tables just 
as they appear in random documents. And we know that deep learning can have challenges generalizing across different formats. So maybe how have you handled that? So how we handle that is once we actually have, you can think of it, there's a pre-training step and then there's a fine-tuning step. Mm -hmm. So we've pre-trained the deep learning models on those large data sets that I was alluding to, uh, FinTabNet and PubTabNet. Now, when you actually want to, say, fine-tune it further for a specific type of document, say like invoices, for instance, that's very different. Now, you will get a solution from the table extraction as it stands, but you still need other labeled documents in it. But here, it's actually a, a much lower number. So now we're talking, say, depending on how different this invoice structure is from what it's seen before, it still will generalize to the invoices and do a reasonable job. But even if you were to fine-tune it further on, say, tens of documents, so, so tens of pages labeled, you can actually boost that accuracy dramatically. So there is a little bit of generalization if you just give it a few more examples specific to the corpus that, that you're looking at. So for that, we actually built this solution called Table Lab. Okay which actually allows us to label a small number of additional documents, you know, the board, where the table is and the structure. And we actually had a paper on this at IUI in 2021, where the system lets you actually label a small number of documents that supports that. And then it will actually do the fine tuning of the deep learning models. So then they're available for document processing. We've done this internally and we've seen, you know, we can get the F1 scores to go up dramatically on these out-of-domain examples, just from labeling like 10 to 20 additional pages, which is not a lot of effort for somebody to do. Got it. So so that's how we handle the tables in the wild. Okay, got it. But it sounds like it's still a very, let me ask this as a question. When you gave the example of invoices, are you treating invoices as a broad class of documents and you're fine-tuning on invoices, you know, from lots of different customers with different formatting variations and things like that? Or are you, this is a particular customer's invoices and the invoices that they receive? Like how fine does your fine-tuning have to be in order to be effective? So if you have a collection of invoices that are coming from, like they were generated from the same template, Okay. And then you are fine tuning exclusively on that same template. Then downstream, you will get better results because you're asking the deep learning to generalize less. However, as long as for that fine tuning, you have examples of all of the templates because so the, you know, usually these invoices, there's a template that different customers, different companies will use. Mm -hmm for all of their forms in there. And even with slight variation, you can even start clustering together these templates into actually like meta templates that people use. And mm -hmm. that, that's another active area we're also looking at as well, just, just to have pre-built models over different, just discover which templates being, a meta template is being used and then trying to identify which meta template and then leverage that model. But mm -hmm. the thing is, is that you will have to fine tune over more examples. Because you'll, you will need examples for each of the templates. And as long as you have that, then, then it would still generalize and benefit from the fine-tuning, even if it's a heterogeneous capora. And I think that's part of the strength of this approach, because a lot of times that's what we see in the real world, is that people 
will have its heterogeneous collections of documents. So, so you can't treat a data source as a single data source. It's actually composed of multiple data sources with multiple formats. And you need to be able to handle those on the fly because that's that's where this whole area of the automatic document processing has moved from, it used to be define a template, then the, the document is from template one or template two or template 123 or something. Mm-hmm. Now we kind of have to be in a world where I don't really know what the template is ahead of time that I need to you know, try to still process the document. So can we maybe back up and talk about what kind of the the pipeline looks like? So there's you know one step where you're using deep learning to identify the tables and there's another step and I'm using this step very loosely. You know, if you're doing it all in one shot, you know, let me know or one end to end model wasn't necessarily trying to make that distinction, but one aspect of the problem where you're using NLP to determine what's in the table. And then can you talk about the the different pieces there and how they all fit together? Right. The two big steps are what we call document conversion. And then we'll say the document understanding, which is the NLP. Okay. Okay. Now within that first step of conversion, which is a pipeline by itself, Mm -hmm. there will be a step where we actually just think of it as just basically pulling the basic data out of the PDF document. Also, if it's a scanned image, this is where we actually do the OCR step over that document to actually pull out any text in the image. Okay. Yeah. From that, so we have the text with this position comes out of that. Now that is what gets fed as input into this table identification step. So when we also have a rendered image of the document page, whether it's coming from a programmatic PDF or whether it was the image originally, you know, we pass that on. That's what goes into this table identification step. Mm-hmm. Within that table identification step, and this is we had a paper at WACV. 2021 that goes over the table extraction process. But there's, at a high level, the deep learning component, it's a object detector that has actually been jointly trained on identifying tables and cells. So the key innovation there was that there's information from the cell identification that can help make the table identification better. And also table identification better just looking for where the whole table is versus looking for individual cells within the table. So if you actually train those two networks together to get a, a joint model, that will actually do better than just doing those as separate pipelines, like find table first, then find cells. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is that the output of the deep learning step by itself For object detection, it will output, here's a table and here's a collection of cells. But that's still not the business problem we need of get the table along with its structure. So to do that structure induction step, there's another AI process after this that is actually taking the output of the object detection. So I have the boxes for here's the, the table and here's the cells on the page. How do I actually turn that into a table structure? So I actually have here are the cells, here's their alignment, their row spans and cow spans. Mm-hmm. Then that is the output of the table extraction step. Then that table extraction step goes back into a, a final document. There's a final document output that puts everything into a text format. Okay. 
And then that text format is what gets passed into NLP. So then NLP will actually start parsing the table and trying to understand, okay, which cells in this table correspond to headers, for instance, because I have a body cell. So that body cell has to get this context from the headers, like that this is the units uh, of measure, or this is also, I'm talking about income. I'm talking about income for the fourth quarter of 2020. I'm talking about, and then, then, you know, the context that this value is actually millions of dollars that's coming from other parts of the table. So you need to put that all together. And, but that step of actually turning the table into a collection of structured facts that goes on in the NLP stuff. So that's what Yan Yao was describing Mm -hmm. in the other previous conversation is, is that step, how we actually parse it and then turn it into a forum where we can answer questions over it. Right. So that's that's the, turning it into a knowledge graph, for instance, and then using that for other downstream applications. Mm-hmm. When you're at the NLP step, where you've got kind of this rough table structure that came from your deep learning stage, you know, to what degree are you able to generalize there to uh, a set of table? APIs or table level functions as opposed to treating a specific problem discreetly? So this was something that we had actually, we've been working on that longer. So we had been doing Mm. table processing from that now close to 12 years. Okay. And again, this was motivated by that there's a lot of tables on the web and making that generalizable because we wanted that to generalize to tables on the web. And also once we had the specific Edgar, what's interesting about Edgar data from financial reports is that these are very complex tables where you have multiple levels of headers and headers that cover multiple columns. That's something, you know, if you go look at Wikipedia tables, they're, they're usually just, it's a grid with a single header, (laughs) a single header row, just giving context to the values beneath it or something. The Edgar tables are just a lot more complex to actually do interpretation of. And we kind of made more progress. I I don't want to say solve that problem, but we made a lot of progress on that because of Edgar from the HTML. Then when the main problem just ended up becoming, okay, can we get the table out of the PDF with a certain level of fidelity? That was a real challenge. But on the NLP side, what is the problem? How have you defined the problem? Is it, you know, say for Edgar, you've got this complex table structure, you are passing it through this NLP process. What are you trying to get at on the other side? Is it put it into a SQLite database so that someone could query it? Is it some question answering kind of system? How did you structure that? So it's both. Mm -hmm. The idea at the end of the day, and, and even what we were doing with it was, we were using it to populate a knowledge base, knowledge graph, either term that people are using. So what you're doing is that table, you can think of it that even as you as a human looking at a table, so that table will have in it, there will be data cells in the body of the table. And then like that value 280, we'll say, now, how does that 280, like, what does that mean? Well, then you look usually to the right, or excuse me, the left of the table, you'll see there'll be, okay, this is the income. So that will tell you that, that this 280 is an income. Then I, I look up to the top of the table. The first couple of rows are usually going to be something like Q4 2020 or something like where they're actually giving you that, okay, this is income from 
the fourth quarter of 2020. Then there might be an additional metadata somewhere in the table that these values are in millions of dollars. So that the, actually the income was $240 million for the fourth quarter of 2020. Now, being able to turn that body cell into a structured fact, and that would go into a structured fact, and then that structured fact, then you could put that into a knowledge base, and then you could use that for answering questions. Because like, okay, if you, had, you, know, you wanted to ask a question, what was the income in the fourth quarter of 2020 for this company, then, then you could pull that information out of the knowledge base. When I think about complex documents, the more complex features of those documents, tables are one example, but there are others like charts. To what degree have you, have you worked on those? And you know, wh- where are we as a, a field with extracting information out of other types of semi-structured substructures and documents? <laughs> that is a great question, Sam. We actually have other people. So part of our work that we're doing on document conversion, there's different levels of, we'll say, maturity for the, for the research and, and that. So we'll say tables is a little farther along because tables is a little more defined the problem. Now, but however, people are asking about charts because charts are another way that people put information into documents. And also the other thing is also around flowcharts as well, that you'll have a process like in an engineering document, like going from A to B and so whatever in, in a flowchart, how could you actually be able to interpret those? So I do have some colleagues at IBM that I do work with that are actually looking at charts as well, like being able to take that chart, here's the information in this chart, and turn it into a structured form that kind of would resemble the output of of a table, we'll say. Then once I know how to process the the data from a table, then I can leverage that downstream table processing in the NLP. Because that's kind of how you take something that's visual like a chart and then turn it into a collection of structured facts, then be processed downstream in NLP. Mm-hmm. That's something, so, so chart identification is something we are looking at, but it's a little farther back in research. And I think just, just overall, that area, though, is also a white-hot area, though, in the research, the wider research community as well, is there, there's, there's a lot of work going on mm-hmm. with charts, and flowcharts now is also kind of becoming important as well, like these process diagrams, I think, is the official term for that. Okay, got it. Maybe going back to the the table problem, we've talked about NLP broadly, but NLP has evolved quite a bit since you started working on these problems. In particular, we've seen pretty broad adoption of transformer-based approaches, BERT, GPT-Xs, things like that. To what degree are you taking advantage of those types of models and where do they fit into your process? Deep learning won the war. <laughs> that, that, that's sort of pretty obvious. The thing is, is that for the vision, again, that's the state of the art is becoming, transformers are even starting to be used in some of the state of the art computer vision approaches. But I, I think we'll say the bleeding edge state of the art in this area, just more generally speaking, what's what's out there, yeah. are approaches like, say, Layout LM which is coming from, say, Microsoft Research, you're actually bringing in BERT and and you're bringing in the NLP along with adding in some of the positional information as well. That's sort of, we'll say, the state of the art. So you're turning this into a multimodal problem where you're not just leveraging the traditional, say, the CNN's vision community used for object detection. I mean, object detection is one 
area that can actually, you know, that inspired our research in a particular direction. And a lot of people have gone down that path and it's, it does very well. And it's giving the, we'll say the state of the art. Now, now the bleeding edge is going to actually now end up being though, bringing in these multimodal features. So you're combining together, you're, think of it like you're augmenting BERT with additional, like the position and the formatting information and all of these additional features as well. And then that will actually do better in a lot of these problems. Mm-hmm. It's already starting to show you have very promising results. So, so that's probably going to be the next state of the art area is going to be these multimodal models. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to say broadly that one of the trends that you've seen in this space is kind of over time going from this multi-step you know, set of processes to incrementally collapsing elements so that some end-to-end trained thing has greater knowledge of all of the pieces and can make more sense out of it? Yes, that's what effectively is happening. That the thing is, is that, so if you treat this as a vision problem by itself, you will go so far. Mm -hmm. That goes back to that example I, I mentioned earlier that, okay, if I'm looking at a table in a, if I'm looking at a document page in a foreign language, and and I actually had to do this. <laughs> I looked at it, it was in it was in Mandarin, you know, looking at the the document. And yeah, I can identify roughly where the table was. I had no idea what I was looking at, mm-hmm. but I could identify that there was a table on the page and, and give a rough idea of what, what I thought the structure was. Mm-hmm. But if it's a complex table, understanding those characters. So the example, if I took a off-the-shelf object detector, it would be like a human looking at a document in a foreign language that they don't understand. You can do a good job on, say, the easy to intermediate level cases mm-hmm. of pulling out a table. Now, if I really want to pull out the really complex tables, this is you know, the cases where, where does the table begin and table end? Because it blends in with unstructured text on the rest of the page of the document. Also, I have charts and I have other things that look like tables that really shouldn't be detected as tables. I want to actually make sure I get a high fidelity solution for those cases, the complex cases, I will need to understand the text on the page. Mm-hmm. That's actually what bringing in these NLP models is attempting to do. Got it. And I think the thing also, just my own experience is that digging into this, that there's a lot of people in the document understanding or well, the document processing community, that, that there is some natural overlap between them and the computer vision community, because computer vision, OCR, and that historically. Mm-hmm. Then now it's getting the NLP community. So a lot of, now, now you're getting people from the NLP and the data management community did some work on web tables, but now it's bringing those four communities together into this problem and then kind of making sure that they all understand that there's really one big problem that everybody's trying to solve but it's you know kind of that about the elephant, right? That everybody's looking at the the elephant of document understanding. Everybody's <laughs> been grabbing, you know, like the, the the vision community grabbed the trunk. The NLP people are looking at the tusk, and somebody else is grabbing the tail. You know, making sure that they can come together, and then you know the expertise of these different communities to actually solve this problem of of document understanding. So, so that's something that we strongly advocate. And you know, when, when we're publishing, and you know, that's why we're going to different venues. So I, I did a document intelligence workshop at KDD. I've also done published on this at VLDB. We did a tutorial conference on data mining ICDM. So we're going to different venues and trying to advocate 
hey, you know, this is an interesting problem that and there's different aspects of this that other people can become involved with. Mm, awesome. Can you speak briefly about evaluation and the way that that figures into attacking <laughs> these problems? It comes down to, so there are some very widely used metrics that have come out of the document processing community. So that what they're measuring, you know, and this is maybe something kind of general to AI overall, it's making sure what you measure, how does that align with the actual business problem that you're attempting to solve? Because the the business problem downstream that we're trying to solve is I want to turn this table into a collection of structured facts. So for that, I need to have complete content of the table, but I also need to make sure that I include the header cells at the top of the table and to the left of the table. I need to make sure that those are included and that the structure of the table is overall pretty sound. Now, a lot of the metrics in, I'll just speak specifically to table extraction, the metrics that are widely used, they don't really penalize tables that cut off the top of the, the header cells. They're measuring something different about getting the structure of that table. So the problem is that you get the you have a very large table, we'll say with like a hundred rows in it, and I but I chop off say the top two rows. So I would say okay, I get ninety eight percent accuracy because I got ninety eight out of a hundred of the rows correct. But if I go to try to turn that into like process that table downstream, I actually have. 0% accuracy because I can't interpret the table. I just have a bunch of rows in the table and I have no context for these values. That's something that we've also been strongly advocating, you know, making sure that there, there are metrics that are the functional values. So it's this the, these functional metrics of being able to downstream process this table, that those are actually reflective of what people want. Mm-hmm. And making sure that, you know, advocating that systems you know, both academic and industrial, that if you're doing your evaluation of this, really the most useful evaluation is going to be those functional metrics, like where you actually are making sure to measure that I can take this table structure that you give me and I can process it downstream. Unfortunately, I I think we're also seeing this in some other areas within AI and LP, and that is just making sure to be very careful about what you're measuring and making sure that that aligns with the actual problem that you're trying to solve downstream. Mm-hmm. That's something that I think we all just need to be aware of as we go forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe going back to the motivating example that we started with, the COVID data set and the, the Kaggle competition around that, when you've got this corpus of semi structured, documents like text plus data do we know what to do with that like does nlp itself know how to deal with this combination of text plus data once we've extracted the data in all its richness or does that field also need to evolve to better accommodate kind of multimodal data so there has been a lot of research in the NLP community. or so, so you get the tables identified and the unstructured text. Being able to use the unstructured text to provide context to the table and being able to process the table content. So there, there's been a lot of work around okay. 
question answering and, and knowledge-based creation and so forth okay. in the NLP community. But I think one thing the NLP community maybe doesn't quite focus on or hasn't focused on is understanding where those tables come from when you because if you're getting tables from say these you know PDF or images it's going to be a little different than web tables it's not going to be as perfect as the web tables so you need to have a little bit of robustness to errors introduced in that first step of the process and then the second thing is just making sure you're dealing with the complex tables where the headers the, the alignment of the headers isn't necessarily easy that these are not just little grid tables that these are tables where you know headers span multiple columns and there's nested headers and so forth mm-hmm. so it's its own line of research that's fairly mature but as we get better at pulling complex information out it needs to evolve accordingly precisely precisely got it got it i think we've kind of covered a lot of the the future things that you're looking at in terms of, you know, what has to happen in NLP, incorporating graphs, things like that. Are there other aspects to this problem that you see ahead of us uh, or that you're excited about tackling? I think the biggest items are going to be just bringing together the the visuals Mm -hmm. into the document processing. It's also, I think the other thing is going to be how we actually get the data. Because the, the idea that something where the understanding, you know, where, where somebody just can label something at a very high level, maybe not even understanding what a table is, but just start giving you, you know, here's the facts that should be coming out and then correcting the facts that are being extracted incorrectly and then being able to leverage annotation at that level. Because that's that's really, you know, the ultimate end goal vision for this is that when when the system does something you get the final answer and then they're able to actually just say, no, this answer is not correct. And then you can actually pull that back through all the different stages of the pipeline and try to fix the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Where, where did this answer break? I'm like, why, why did we get the wrong answer? I, I think that's the thing that's going to really make these systems u- usable, just in addition to processing different types of visuals and, and so forth. Got it. In a lot of ways, that sounds like a continuation of the theme, like end-to-end models, end-to-end evaluation, (laughs) end-to-end labeling. We need to think about the problem as a whole, and that will help advance the field or push us forward in solving it. Yes, because this is inherently a pipeline. And even though it's a multi-stage pipeline, it's a pipeline that has back arrows. (laughs) Right. You know, some things you might doing in parallel that they can share information and leverage. I mean, even something as specific as table, like identifying where the table is and then the cells, that doing those two steps in parallel instead of doing them one after the other, that that actually improved performance. And that was just, you know, it's a very specific example. But then also the how do I identify the headers? Being able to bring in some table understanding into that process as well as like say a third thing you're doing in parallel mm-hmm. that can help just something specific as table can can benefit from that. And then as you're going into the more broad problem. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Doug. It was great learning a bit about what you've been working on. Great. Thank you, Sam. I enjoyed it. Enjoyed the conversation. Thanks. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, 
If you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.